0: retro hangover is supported via patreon by listeners like you we would especially like to thank our 16-bit tier subscribers lyle mccarns and ashton ruby your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated thank you
1: Your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 63 of Retro Hangover.
0: Retro and Classic Gamers, welcome to the podcast. We are considering commanding casuals conspicuously while co opting Claycock clicks. This is episode 63 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. I am your co host, Chris Copleen. And as always, here is your host, Shane, Brotherhood of Dick Dragon Initiative.
1: You know, I, I was confused there for a second because you, you started saying brotherhood and then you said dick dragon initiative. And I was like, those two don't go together. But then I, I saw what you did there by putting them, putting them both together into one. That's, that's clever. It's, it's real clever. Also impressive. Um, you, you know, you got, you got that lung capacity going for you there. So it's it's good stuff.
0: So. Welcome, once again, everybody, to our wonderful little happiness of podcasting. Today, we are going to be talking about Command and Conquer. No, oh, we're just we're just getting right out in front and saying it. That's unlike us. Well, fuck it. You know, I just don't like beating around the bush. Sometimes you just want to penetrate, jump right in, and, and blow everything right up front.
1: Okay, well,
0: innuendo, that is more like us, so I feel like that balances out. If you consider that innuendo, you have a perverted mind, and I like you. In the meantime, <laughs> this is this is going to be an interesting episode because I think this is really, well, it's not the first time, but it's one of the rare times Shane is really going to be able to dominate this conversation with his own personal knowledge. <laughs> Before we get into that, Shane, how have you been doing in the apocalypse? Have you continued to forage for food and fight off the fungus monsters?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm actually really. Uh recording this on on an old razor flip phone that i found somewhere mm. um yeah i'm currently actually hiding in a mcdonald's dumpster um which has actually surprisingly good audio quality y- you wouldn't expect that but the acoustics in here are actually pretty great you just kind of have to you know surround yourself with discarded food bags and styrofoam mm. and it just deadens the sound really well so
0: I-, I thought it was the fries that never decompose that are really good for acoustics they just absorb this sound
1: uh well those would help if i didn't also have to use them for sustenance you see ah uh. but you know you do what you got to do um and and um, i'm surviving such as it is so uh what what about you chris how's how's the um the the apocalyptic pandemic treating you
0: well I scoured the internet for suggestions on what to do, and I went to Twitter and found out in terms of video games, being a video gamer, it seems like it's a really good time to go golfing and, and really? be disappointed by it. If you don't know, you don't know. But I can tell you a bunch of naughty dogs love golfing. I'll just put it there. <laughs> so I don't know. That's going to probably go over some of your heads, or it's going to make you some uh, some of you very, very frustrated with what I just said.
1: Or you know, some people just start furiously googling like naughty dog golf and figuring out what the hell's
0: you're talking well, about. Well, if they don't want the Last of Us two spoiled, they probably shouldn't do that. In the meantime, mm. uh, I have been, of course, nothing really of note in terms of the apocalypse. I've just been kind of uh, staying home, getting a new ride for my for my life in in Mac in was it Max Fury? It's not Max Fury. What's that? <laughs> Uh, Ma- uh, Ma- mad max, max fury road yeah mad about? Mad max yeah. fury mad max fury Ma- i knew that <laughs> max fury max- is the mad road Max fury and his flaming guitar yes hell yeah so uh the world of mad max is too depressing so i'm just gonna live in the world of fist of the north star because that looks a lot better i wouldn't argue with
1: that I mean, you're kind of missing out on some of the more shiny and and chrome aspects of it, but I I guess you could live without that.
0: But I can't kill people with one punch in Mad Max Fury. It's not going to happen. I mean, not with that attitude. You're right. I got to focus and and become one punch man. I got to run five miles every day and do 100 push push-ups, and I will get there.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's. That's it. That's all you have yes. to do.
0: And we have just become the anime review channel.
1: <laughs> well, in that case, let's start talking about the fact that I am watching through the original Dragon Ball series. It's uh,
0: so good until it's it's kind of meh, but it's so good. Uh, but yeah, yeah, but for video games, Shane, uh, before we yes. before we get to our topic du jour, we, we're going to do the thing mm. we are want to do as we are want to say. <laughs> OK, well, we filled our want to do quota for this episode. So I'm like, not going to stop. I'm going to check gonna that keep off the doing list. that. Shane, what have you been up to in terms of video games? We all know that The Apocalypse um we are not really eating people and and McDonald's french fries. So, which are on the same level, but how have you <laughs> how have you been doing in terms of playing video games and and all other facets of life in reality?
1: Um pretty good. Actually, we've been so so Brianna and I have actually been kind of taking this as an opportunity to do a little bit more co-op gaming and um uh, we, we've picked up a couple different titles. So uh, my, my friend group actually kind of got us turned on to this. but um, Arc Survival evolved. It's been out for a while now, so m- most of the people listening to this probably are familiar. But um, it was on sale on Steam for like 10 bucks, and so we ended up picking up two copies and we've been um, kind of playing that on and off together um, on a local local network game. Um, which has been a lot of fun. Um, if, if you don't, if you're not familiar with arc, basically it's like advanced Minecraft with dinosaurs. It's like the best way I can put it. It's, it's, it's your run of the mill sort of like survival open world type game. And, um, but you have the the benefit of also having dinosaurs roaming around the Island that you can fight for resources. And also you can tame and use them and like ride on them and shit. And, um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It, it it comes with the same sort of like jank that a lot of those sort of open world survival games tend to have. Um, in uh, actually, a really good example of that is for some reason only the female characters have a bug where when they ride on a dinosaur they just stand on the back of the dinosaur instead of going into the proper like sitting animation. It's because
0: dinosaurs have spikes. So
1: I mean that that could be it. I feel like the guys should probably be equally concerned about that, but evidently not. I don't know. But I will say that it's pretty hilarious to see a character um, flying around on a pterodactyl, just standing straight up on its back. That's it's pretty good. It's awesome. It's kind of up there with the same like Skyrim sort of jank, like that kind of a thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, so doing that, and actually just last night um, we picked up a way out on my PS4. And we started playing through that. And we actually we ended up playing for like four hours or oh, something awesome. that that is a really good game. That is a good co-op game. Like it, it's very narrative driven and fairly straightforward, but um, but it's it's a lot of fun. So I, w- I would recommend that if you're looking for a good like couch co-op experience. OK,
0: that's awesome. So poor man's monster world and no way out.
1: Uh, yes, sweet. Basically,
0: well, I I've been playing as I was last time, and I will be probably for the foreseeable future Final Fantasy seven remake. I continue to enjoy it. Yes, It is a it is a pleasurable experience.
1: <laughs> I still just appreciate how defeated you sound by saying,
0: <laughs> well, here's the thing. I was going to do a rapid fire rant and it wasn't going to be about the game. Uh, it was going to be mm. I, I decided not to do it because it seems that cooler heads have prevailed. And it seems the popular uh-huh. opinion is that the, the game is fine. But there were a bunch of review bombers out there that was going to cause me to do this just because in the lead up to the Final Fantasy remake, you had a lot of Final Fantasy 7 fanatics who would constantly tell you that this game had to be made if you were wrong to think it shouldn't be. and But that's what I've been doing. And of course, I have a final paper due at the time of this recording this Sunday for my second to last college course. So I am in an absolute state of anxiety polar- uh, paralysis. So in terms of doing anything but writing the paper and recording podcasts, I, I don't do. So I'm I'm not probably going to be playing any video games for the remainder of this week. So by the next episode, I'll probably still be playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. And who knows for how long. So there's that.
1: Excellent. So uh so I guess with, with that out of the way, um, I guess we should probably Hmm. talk about the thing, right, that we we came
0: to talk about. The thing being Command & Conquer, because we are going to be transparent in our intros from now on, because there's no point in hiding it. You know, you you clicked on it expecting us to talk about an episode, and we're all like, ooh, mysterious. What are we talking about this week? (laughs) Yes, we know you know. We know. Okay? We got it. So this week, we're going to be talking about Command & Conquer. Command & Conquer, big-time PC RTS game released in the mid-1990s, and... I don't think there would be a better person between the two of us to talk about a mid-90s PC game than our lovely host, Shane. So, Shane, why don't you take it away and give us a brief history on Command & Conquer. We are going to have to act if we want to live in a different world.
1: By 1995, the concept of the real-time strategy game, or RTS, was nothing new, even if it was a bit obscure. The genre's birth can arguably be traced back to the 1989 Sega Genesis title Herzog's Vi, which featured a mecha who built units and issued them orders to destroy the opponent's base. This idea would be used as an inspiration for the 1992 game Dune 2, which many cite as the first true RTS to be exposed to a wider audience. Dune 2 would feature robust base-building options, as well as more fully fleshed-out unit commands to strategically defend your assets. With the game's ensuing success, it was clear a follow-up would be all but inevitable. As a result, in 1993, Westwood Studios, the developer of Dune 2, would look to set the bar for the RTS genre even higher. Intent on iterating and expanding on the features and ideas from Dune 2, Westwood did not wish to operate within the constraints of a licensed property. The decision was made to create an entirely new IP, one with a title that succinctly described exactly what players could expect. Thus, Command & Conquer was born. The title may have been established, but a proper world and plot still needed to be nailed down. Beginning its life with a high fantasy motif, Command Cocker ultimately pivoted to its now iconic alternate near-future modern warfare setting, largely due to the geopolitical climate of the mid-90s. Inspiration for plot points and design would be plucked directly from the headlines, centering on the first Gulf War and global terrorism events like the 1993 World Trade Center bombings. Westwood co-founder Brett Sperry wanted the game to share his vision of futuristic warfare, wars that would not see nation pitted against nation, but a unified global force facing off against anarchistic terror groups. To this end, the ongoing conflict between GDI, the Global Defense Initiative, and the cult organization known as the Brotherhood of Nod would serve as the game's driving narrative. Much like Dune's Spice, which served as an allegory for crude oil, an invasive, crystalline alien substance known as Tiberium would be the sought-after resource at the center of the two opposing forces' many battles. To further expound on the plot, Full Motion Video, or FMV, would be heavily employed for most of the game's cutscenes, featuring a mix of live actors and CG. Command & Conquer would see initial release for MS-DOS in North America on September 26, 1995 with Macintosh and European versions following shortly thereafter. Overwhelmingly positive critical reception would lead to a total of 1 million units sold within its first year, a notable achievement for a PC game at the time. Even the 1996 ports to the Sega Saturn and Sony PlayStation, which did not have mouse control as a standard feature, received high marks and critical praise. The game would also be ported to Windows 95 in 1997 and the Nintendo 64 in 1999. Across all platforms, Command & Conquer would go on to sell more than 3 million units worldwide and would spawn a massively popular franchise that would span over a decade. And that is your brief history of Command & Conquer.
0: Like Command and Conquer, great brief history there, Shane. It's, he taught us a lot, especially the fact that RTS is started on a console and not on a PC. That's that's
1: I, I feel I feel betrayed by that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be honest.
0: Yeah, I, I think the most interesting thing about this when when I was looking up the brief history for this, or just the history in Command and Conquer, is how many games like it's stemmed from. It's essentially a sequel or a follow up to the game Dune 2, which I didn't even know existed. For, for the record. Did, I'm sure mm-hmm. you did as a, as a PC gaming head.
1: So I did. I, I never actually played it. I, I knew it existed, but I, I, I never had a hands-on with it. Mm-hmm.
0: But certainly, we can say that Command & Conquer really turned the whole entire idea of what an RTS was on its head. Uh, it, was essentially, it was very revolutionary for the time, especially when you consider... Now, you do... Okay. Not especially when you consider, but if you do consider that Warcraft did come out before Command and Conquer, but it just mm-hmm. didn't have the attraction that Command and Conquer did.
1: Yeah, that's um, that wouldn't go back over in that direction in Blizzard's favor definitely until until Warcraft Two. I think that was a certainly a refinement on on the formula that they were trying to craft there. Not to say that I personally wouldn't say that Warcraft Orcs versus Humans is an awful game, but let's just say that. It's pretty rough, and I know that there are some people out there that are probably going to take personal offense to that, and it is what it is, but it, much like many other games out there, I think the sequel um, does a pretty good job of both iterating and refining the the mechanics and stuff that they had started to implement in the first game. But, but you're right. Command & Conquer came along shortly thereafter, and uh, it completely revolutionized this, this whole genre of games. And, or you could even say to it to a certain degree, actually, that it really defined the genre, frankly, because uh, even, even if you were to look at a lot of industry folks um, and their sort of sentiments on it, they would agree that Command and Conquer is significantly important to gaming history in general, but particularly computer gaming history in that, just about every real time strategy game that came after it owes something to uh, Command and Conquer, even if a lot of folks that played things like, say, Warcraft 3 or StarCraft or something like that, or Age of Empires um, never even touched the original CNC because, frankly, a, a lot of people didn't.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you look at how Command and Conquer plays. If you know how to play, starcraft if you know how to play warcraft 3 if you know how to play any RTS that has been released mm-hmm. in in the past 20 years you know how to play command and conquer there's it's,
1: yes absolutely like, it,
0: it it has set, it has set a standard is commander and conquer more basic than it what would come to follow after it? I would say absolutely it is. There's there's no argument for me in that. But if you look at everything before it, it definitely took a giant step forward that you really haven't seen in RTS. I would say much to the genre's detriment uh that you saw from from Dune 2 to Command and Conquer, even Warcraft to Command and Conquer.
1: Yeah, I mean, even uh I believe it was even Brett Sperry himself had was quoted as saying that the the design doc for Command and Conquer really just s- sort of originated from just a wish list of things that they had wanted to do with Dune 2 right. and then either didn't have a chance to do or or what have you. And so, again, if you look at it the same way that we're kind of talking about Warcraft 1 to Warcraft 2, it's a very similar trajectory in that Command & Conquer took a lot of the lessons learned that they had from Dune 2, even though that game was still very successful in its own right, and then positively iterated on it for, for this game Some key things to to point out from that. Um, For example, you were talking about how, you know, if someone were to go back now and play it, having played other RTSs, that they'd be right at home. And that's largely true. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we, I think, take for granted now, for sure, is uh, like the ability to click and drag to select a group of units, for example, Mm -hmm. right? That should be something you'd think would just be standard. And it is now, But back then, that was actually like (laughs) that was a completely new concept and and very welcome, by the way, Uh because you couldn't really do that at all in Dune 2. You had to do all your unit selection through a menu, which is cumbersome at best. Right. So that's a huge improvement, even if it's kind of a minute detail.
0: So if if you're going back kind of the history for RTSs, right? Yeah. Command & Conquer is to RTSs like Dragon Quest is to JRPGs.
1: Actually, yeah. I would say that's a pretty fair comparison. Yeah, in that they're massively influential in the genre but not necessarily as well known as perhaps they should be.
0: Right. And I'm just talking more as a more of a series as opposed to the quality of the game. Um because Dragon Quest mm. is ass, but um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cuz you have Dune 2 that's kind of like your wizardry and then you have Warcraft that's kind of like uh it's not really well it's not really Ultima, but I'm just going to say it's Ultima for the fuck of it. Maybe Herzog's ways your sure. Ultima. I don't give a fuck. Uh, they they let up. But any case, so we, we've gone on with this. I'm going to briefly talk about my first time that I experienced Command & Conquer because I know you probably have a lot to say about the first time you experienced it. Uh, you probably experienced a lot before I did as a, as a role reversal, so to speak.
1: <laughs> I know. This is unusual. <laughs> but, uh, it's uncharted <laughs> yeah. territory. I don't, I don't know where to go from here.
0: What are we going to do? <laughs> but in... In any case, uh, my my first experience with Command & Conquer was probably about... I mean, it was before I, I, I left for the Navy, I believe. So I think it was the early 2000s. It was after Tiberian Sun came out. I think uh, Red Alert, all those. Because I got like a war chest. Mm. Like a box chest. Yep. That came with Command & Conquer, Command & Conquer Tiberian Sun, and Command & Conquer Red Alert. So you can imagine even the original Command & Conquer didn't get that much love. But of course... I had to go back, I had to play it, I had this game. I wasn't, at the time, terribly impressed with it, just because you had all these other RTSs that had came out afterwards. You did have Tiberian Sun, which is I think is peak Command & Conquer, personally. Or Red Alert, which is also phenomenal. But those games are so much more refined and better than the original Command & Conquer, but by the time I got to Command & Conquer, it had already been spoiled. And I had been a big Warcraft 2 guy. So it was really hard for me to go back and play the original one with the same with the same love and appreciation that I think someone like yourself who got introduced to the Command and Conquer series for the other games necessarily hit home.
1: Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's the same thing as like any other thing, right? Like if you're someone who got into, let's say, MMOs a little bit later and then you try to go back and see what the hype was about like Ultima or EverQuest, you're going to be like, what is this? fucking hot garbage and it's it's kind of it's kind of the same thing here and i can totally see that for the record because i know that the way that i view command and conquer is with some very thick coke bottle nostalgia glasses on because i think the game has a whole lot going for it um, which we'll get into in a little bit but i am not gonna lie it, it is hard to get into that now But yeah, so Uh my experience was right around when it came out. Actually, as a matter of fact, I went and double checked today, at the day that we're recording this episode, and um, in the collection of PC game discs and everything that I still have, I I actually managed to hang on to my original two Command and Conquer installation discs along with the uh, instruction manual. So. You can keep an eye out for that ending up on our Instagram feed, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I got it pretty close to when it came out. I actually needed to double check because I wasn't sure if I had gotten the original PC MS-DOS release or if I had gotten the Windows 95 release because technically, and I've said this before on the podcast, so if you've listened to us before, you probably know this already, um, my family didn't get... Uh, uh, a home computer until a little bit later. I want to say it was like, I think 97 or 98, somewhere around there. And it was Uh a windows 95 compact. And I remember playing this game on it. However, I went back and looked and uh, the windows version technically was command and conquer gold, which is not what I have. So I actually have the original MS DOS version of, uh, of CNC and, I have an interesting story of how I got introduced to it and actually Go we'll probably on. end up talking this, this particular person in my personal history will come up again. Once we end up doing some other episodes about some other older PC games that I know we'll, we'll be talking about sometime in the, in the future. But uh-huh. um, I had this friend. It's
0: your, it's your Christmas with three consoles.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I had this really, really good friend of mine when I was a kid, his name was Connor. And um, he, he somehow he managed to get these PC games um, before I even knew about them. And so he was actually the reason that I got exposed to a number of these of these now very famous PC titles, uh, this being one of them. I, I distinctly remember uh, going over to his house like on the bus after school and hanging out in his family's computer room and firing up command and conquer and us just like sitting there in folding chairs and like playing through the, the CNC campaign. Uh, And so that's, that's how I sort of got introduced to it. And man, it's of course, you know, being a retro podcast, such as we are, we, we probably say this a lot. It is hard to describe how these things looked and how they impacted not only us, but just gamers or the industry as a whole, when they came out.
0: They were mind blowing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. This And so technically, the way that this was timed, right, I had never played the original Warcraft. So for me, this was the first RTS that I had ever played or ever seen. And so this whole concept was completely new to me and and i'm actually in a way I'm, I'm glad that this is the first thing that i saw and not something like dune 2 or something because even though that game as we said was successful oh yeah or warcraft i, I don't think i would have had the same positive reaction um as i did to this but uh yeah man it, it left an impression and it was funny too because going back and i, I don't want to dive into too many of the other bullet points that we want to talk about right now but but going back and sort of reviewing uh, this game prior to recording this episode. Have you ever gone back to like some games that used to play when you were a kid and then it just like unearths some shit that's just like etched into your brain somewhere in the back that you had forgotten about? Cause that's totally what happened with this. Like as soon <laughs> as I started hearing some of the voice clips and stuff from like the in-game units and that stuff, I was just like, Oh my God, I, I remember all of these so mm-hmm. that that stuff comes back.
0: Oh yeah, I'm definitely going through that right now with with Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, a, a, a different different equation, and I'll talk about that maybe at some other time. But yeah, I completely get what you're saying. Just having those those emotions retrigger and getting that nostalgia, and that's that's kind of why you are we are retro gamers. It's you sit down, you play something familiar, and you get that rush of nostalgia especially with something that you've played in the past. It's, a, it's an overwhelmingly positive feeling sometimes.
1: It, it absolutely is, yeah. And, and so kind of actually kind of segueing into some of the just general bullet points that we wanted to cover in this, one of the things that uh, really brings it back for me, and, and this is not unusual because music just has that effect on human beings, but I cannot stress enough how amazing the soundtrack for this game is. If you have not listened really to good. it, if you've never played the original command and conquer, if you don't play the game, at least do yourself a favor and go on YouTube or something and listen to the original soundtrack because Frank Kopacki, the composer for this thing, and actually is a composer for most of the, the CNC series did a bang up job with this. Like, Almost every one of the tracks on this game's soundtrack are just top notch. Like they get you in just the right mood to like kick some military ass in there. And ah, oh, they're, they're so good.
0: I think that's really important in an RTS too. Now, a good soundtrack is good in any game. But in an RTS, you're spending most of your time just staring at the screen, like really thinking what you have to be doing, what your next move is. And to have that background noise and have it. Not be overwhelmingly distracting, but keep you engaged in the game is so important, and that is something you do get from Command and Conquer.
1: Absolutely, and so another thing to note about that too, we were talking about how you know this game at the time was revolutionary for a number of reasons, and one of them also is actually the audio, in that um, Command and Conquer was the first game that Westwood Studios did that leveraged streaming audio, so actual digitized audio rather than the the midi files or midi depending on how you want to pronounce it it's not exactly super high quality but for the time that was freaking amazing oh yeah and having actual digitized audio in a game was like just a completely new thing and so that definitely helped as well but just getting into like the first gdi mission like that that backing track for that first mission just sets the bar for everything it's just it's it's so good and he also, you know, uh, Frank took a lot of uh, inspiration from like several different music genres for the different tracks that ended up on the game. And he just blended them so well, along with like a lot of really great synth and everything and, and sampling actually as well, that I, I can't say enough good things about the soundtrack for this game.
0: You know, it's also amazing.
1: Mm. It's
0: the amazing full motion videos of the mid 90s. And this is no exception. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. I So I think you and I might have slightly different opinions about this one. Um,
0: I don't wow. think we do. I don't oh. think we do. Okay. All right. So
1: the prevailing idea around FMVs from the mid-90s, and, and Command and & Conquer does not escape this criticism, is that they are by and large very amateurish
0: and super cheesy um, yes, how, how, do, you, like how a do you feel about grilled that? cheese, delicious sandwich? I love cheese. So first of all, everyone, I love cheesy acting. Okay. I really appreciate it. I enjoy it. I like B level shit and schlock and my video games, especially from the mid nineties. If you're talking about a mid nineties FMV game, if you don't have some scrub trying to take it absolutely serious and you realize that they're a, a little bit below professional, it just <laughs> gives my cockles all sorts of warmth it's amazing <laughs> and i love it i eat it up and it, you get you do get that okay so it's it's not pure cheese and command and conquer because and, and i think you share a similar opinion most of the people they picked off the streets do a decent job
1: yeah yes like actually surprisingly well
0: yes and like when i heard that so for everyone who, who who's joining us today uh, there's only one professional actor on the entire staff of Command & Conquer for everyone they got to do to do these videos and vignettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, only one, and that's the man who plays Kane, who's Joe Kenken. Is that his name? Joe Kenken? Joe Kunkin, Yeah, I think that's Joan it. Joe Kunken. Yeah. who is a professional actor, but when I say he's a professional actor, the only thing he has ever professionally acted in, really, is video games. Mm-hmm. So you're really looking at... Just a real collection of just, hey, do you want to act in this scene? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Fuck it. Why not? I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pretend I'm a general. And I at like some of the lines that they just say, I'm just like, nothing's really a bad line, to be honest with you. But being in the military and I hear this general saying, I'm going to go to the UN for some civvy time. What the fuck is civvy time, man? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I was wondering what your reaction to that, because I was I was rewatching the cutscenes for this, too. And like I heard some of that stuff and I'm just like, you know, I'm not in the military, so I just take this at face value. But I feel like Chris might have something to say about this.
0: Yeah. You have the guy on the battlefield, of course, who's covered in like dirt. He has his helmet uh, unstrapped. He's just kind of holding on to you like he's been exhausted. And He's like, Commander. We got to really do this. And he has enough time to brief you in peace and everything like that. But he still looks beat the fuck up. I love shit like this. I absolutely (laughs) love it. We need more of it. And it needs to start again. We need to bring that back. So if you're an indie developer, that's probably going to end up on limited run games because that's where all you go anyway. Bring that shit back. We need more shit like this and Night Trap and all that other crap. But it well, wasn't as it's not that bad. There there are some bad stuff, but it's, it's not that bad.
1: I'll say, well, we're 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 about due for that time time frame, right? Like we've we've gotten yeah. through the the like the 16 bit platformer like surge of indie games. So logically the next step would be trying to ape all those like mid nineties FMV games, right? That that's where we're headed.
0: I think you do they they are out there. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but they are out there and they do exist.
1: <laughs> Tells you how good they are.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not really into it anymore because most of them are the, you know, the uh, adventure games, like the right. low indie adventure games. And I'm not big into adventure games, but yeah, yeah. we have definitely moved past the over serious, melodramatic acting that we've gotten in video games. Not to say that we don't need that in video games. Of course we do. And it's very much valued, but you also need the camp. You also need the cheese. Like I, I haven't played Deadly Premonition, but now I want to.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so, like I was kind of alluding to when we started on this particular topic, the the prevailing sentiment for this is that they're just super schlocky and terrible. Um, actually, if you go to almost any, like, YouTube reviewer that goes back and does a retrospective on this game, they kind of all say the same thing where they're just like, LOL, this stuff is garbage. But actually, they're not that bad. And no. So Kane, the guy that plays Kane, Joe Kunkin, like we said, um, he pulls that off really well. He He embodies the like slightly unhinged but still charismatic, you know, cult leader figure that Kane is. And so I think he does that very well. And by and large, even the rest of the just Westwood Studios staff they pulled in to like be in front of a camera, upon reviewing it now – of course, back then when I was a kid, I was like, this is amazing. So I didn't give a shit. But like looking back on it, it now. It still is amazing. Well, yes. But <laughs> it's, it's actually still good. Like there was only a couple of standouts that I was just like, okay, you guys are clearly not cut out for this or you're just phoning this in. Like the guy that uh-huh. plays Dr. Mobius, who is supposed to be this like – kind of insane uh scientist guy who is supposed to have the answers around why Tiberium is doing what it's doing and what its effects are on on the population and that stuff um he's pretty bad and also it's a super I think that was bummer. intentional dude
0: I think that was intentional. Uh, I don't know if it is. Why would they pick? He's essentially a surfer dude that looks like he got stoned prior to recording. (laughs) You think they didn't know that? I don't know, man. Come on, man.
1: There's a line where it's like, okay, they were intentionally trying to make him just be terrible. But like there were moments where it looks like he's like trying, but just really not hitting the mark. I don't know. So he's getting
0: when he's getting interviewed on that TV show. That's the yeah. first time you, you really see him right, in an right. FMV, especially in the GDI, of course. Yeah, so he's getting interviewed, and he comes up with this just weird fucking accent. I can't tell if that's his real hair or not, too. By the way, I have no fucking idea. It probably <laughs> is if he's a probably. Westwood Studio to, uh, staff member, because you probably have some nerds that you know eat Cheetos, grow their hair long, just like uh, uh, what's the guy who's going to make you his bitch in Die Katana? John Romero, uh, John Romero. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them had long hair. A lot of them were probably stoners. A lot of them probably like just jamming out. So you're making this thing. You're like, you know, it'd be fucking funny, dude. If we put this guy <laughs> who looks like a fucking stoner and made him the fucking doctor, dude, and we'll have a great time with it. And everyone will think. Whoa, man! Like this is weird. This isn't cool, and we'll be laughing because he's the serious dude.
1: Uh, you know what? I'll let you have your head cannon on all of that. I still think that it's probably just pretty bad, but that that you know, sure, why not? So the one that I was gonna say though is actually kind of a super bummer, at least to me, is Seth. So if you play uh-huh. the Nod campaign for. Roughly half of the campaign, you are being you are given missions by Seth, who is Kane's kind of right hand man, and ah, oh, God, the guy that plays Seth is literally just reading his lines. There's no emotion. There's no inflection. Like I, I could see what the intention of the script was for his lines, and he just does not hit it at all. And that just super bums me out because this is the guy that you have to get all your mission briefings from for almost half of one of the campaigns. Where conversely, I actually thought that the the guy playing the general on the GDI side um did a surprisingly good job at what he was doing, maybe with did, a, know, real did civi, a real good job. Did a real good job civvy comment notwithstanding.
0: Well he didn't write it.
1: Well, <laughs> right. But the one that takes the fucking cake is the female news anchor at the end of the game.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. Here are my boobs.
1: Okay, so I don't know which, like, executive or CEO over at Westwood Studios had some girlfriend who just got a boob job that just really wanted to be in front of a camera, but – she is phoning this the fuck in. It is. And, and it sucks, right? Because like this is the last thing you see. doesn't matter which campaign you play, by the way. You still see her at the end. Slightly different variation on what she
0: says during the news report.
1: But this is the last thing you get to see. And it is arguably the worst performance out of the whole game.
0: By the way, before all of you start angrily typing emails to us or saying how horrible we are on Twitter... Because I don't know the background of this woman. I'm sure she's a very fine individual. She could have been a programmer. Sure. possible. Sure. Th- just don't assume she's a programmer's girlfriend, Shane. She oh has feelings oh. and she might have skills and talents too.
1: Okay? I, I, You know what? I do not doubt that she does and I'm sure she is excellent at the things that she is good at. Acting is not one of them. Acting is not. <laughs> so moving away from the FMV stuff, we should probably touch on at least a few of the, you know, I, I guess more like – mechanical aspects of the game talk a little bit about you know gameplay and and that sort of a thing right so some of the things that we had kind of outlined that we wanted to touch on um before we wrap this whole episode up first of all one of the kind of cool things about the game is that your gameplay strategies actually do differ um fairly significantly depending on which campaign you play so I, I guess we've been alluding to this, but maybe we should be a little bit more clear that the, the original Command & Conquer, it is split up into two separate single-player campaigns. You either play as the Global Defense Initiative or you play as the Brotherhood of Nod, and the overall story and plot of the game actually plays out very differently depending on which one you choose. And similarly, the the gameplay strategy for those uh, factions differs as well. So the GDI tend to sort of rely on more like sturdier units in, in sort of a, a more like grand assault fashion and typically fewer overall units just because they're stronger. Um, whereas the Brotherhood of Nod, usually you're going to be more successful if you try to swarm your enemy with a lot of the cheaper, more like mass-produced units. Like comparatively speaking, the GDI get like Jeeps with, you know, mounted turrets or whatever. Whereas uh, the Brotherhood of Nod basically get just like dune buggies with guns on them. Um, That's sort of their equivalent. And so most of the Nod units are just cheaper to produce. So therefore you can just get more of them And so they're very similar to kind of like the Zerg in StarCraft, I guess, in that way. Uh But that's kind of a cool thing in that, you know, your gameplay style is going to differ if you decide to play through the game twice to get both sides of the story, which why wouldn't you if you bought it? I will say that we kind of touched on this towards the beginning when we were talking about how this game revolutionized RTSs. And uh, one of the big things is unit selection. the game. So I, in my opinion, I think it's actually the game's, one of the biggest strengths of the game, but also one of its glaring weaknesses. And the weakness I will admit is more of like a hindsight 2020 thing than anything. So the strength is in that unlike other RTSs that came out right around the same time as Command and Conquer, like Warcraft and and Starcraft a few years later, um, Mm -hmm. you can select basically as many units as you want if i recall correctly or at the very least a shitload of units all at once and command them around whereas other games um limited you to a very certain number that you could select at any given time so that was really cool um that you could basically just especially if you're playing nod by the way as you know as i was just saying if you have like just a whole mass of dune buggies and, and infantry soldiers, you just select the whole damn screen and tell them to go level a base, which is pretty cool. The, the con to that though, is that you have this metric shit ton of units that you can select, but you have no way of logically grouping them up. So I'm going to go into the weeds a little bit for a second on some RTS mechanics. Um, so for those of you that aren't into that, just, just bear with me for a second. But Turn it off. Yeah, yeah. this is where everybody <laughs> tunes out. Um, but one of the things that was a very welcomed addition in later real-time strategy games was the ability to select a group of units and then assign them to a hotkey on your keyboard. So then that way you could very explicitly set up different tactical groups and then you could just get to them and select all of them by hitting a number key, basically, on your keyboard. Um, it was something that was done, I like, like I said, in later ones, like StarCraft, later WarCraft games, things like that. It became commonplace. But you can't do that in Command & Conquer. So it actually sometimes, even though you have the benefit of being able to drag and select on the screen with your mouse, which was an improvement over Dune 2, it is actually still kind of a pain in the ass sometimes to make sure all your units are doing exactly what you want them to do because you have to select them manually and give them orders every single time rather than being able to create these like i said distinct sort of groupings of all of your units and then sort of like strategically move them around the map
0: well that that's that's a good thing too i mean you, you get all these fucking people you just generate a big party so it is like you're commanding a platoon right like you would You know, theoretically, in in army movement, you're not going to tell each individual soldier to do something different on everything. So I I guess it adds that level of whatever to it. And I think you get that a little bit in Warcraft because you can generate a party of a a couple. I can't remember how many it is. I know Warcraft 2, it's nine. But Mm -hmm. you don't get the same numbers that you were getting Command and Conquer. And when you're talking about the manifestation of war, because they wanted to drive into – driving into the player's head, you were at war with each other. Right. It makes a lot more sense that you'd be commanding giant groups of people as opposed to maybe, you know, four. It would just make more sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I totally get what you're saying with that. And again, I, that's why I, I put out the caveat at the front of this whole thing that I, you know, it, this criticism is sort of, you're, we're backing into it, right? Because at the time, right. we didn't know any fucking better. And this by itself, was a vast improvement over anything before it, so we weren't gonna complain. Going back and looking Absolutely at it now, you know, I'd be like, yeah, you know, that would have been a nice thing to have. And who knows? Maybe they will include that functionality in the remaster that's coming up shortly. Um, um, I would actually really appreciate that if they did that. Actually,
0: I'll be uh, I'll be honest with you: the whole entire hotkey thing for for troop functions and party functions, I I never really cared much for i just right clicked
1: oh god i used it so much like i would group up different units together and then assign them to hotkey numbers and then be able to like move the different groups to different parts of the map and be very like very precise with my with my strikes and everything like no nah, it's i i would i would actually be happy if that was something they added in i know cnc purists are probably gonna say like don't add that shit but I actually think it'd be an improvement, but we'll, we'll see what they, what they end up doing. Agree to
0: disagree with the CNC peers.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, uh, we've talked about like the FMVs, and that sort of dovetails a little bit into this, the overall plot, right? Because the FMVs, let's be honest, right. are really what's driving the plot of the game. Uh-huh. Um, having said that, I think you and I both agree that the plot of this game is pretty Spartan at best.
0: Spartan? Yes. I've never heard that used as a descriptor for a plot or a story.
1: Uh, Spartan as a descriptor just basically means like very, very, well, bare bones or very minimalist
0: well, when I think of – okay, when I think of Spartan, I think like warrior.
1: Right. Well, that that's why it's used that way because one of the things that the Spartan warriors were known for were living a very, very meager, minim, minimalist life where like if you looked at a Spartan soldier's like bedroom, it was just a plank for a bed and like a chair and some shit and that was it. So that's where that comes from. That is the
0: first time I've ever heard that used. Yep. This is why you read books, okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> – Anyway (laughs) So is it Is it it bare bones Shane yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's fairly bare bones Um, It's just one One side wants to kill the other side And that's and you have This this kind of um, Third party that you can't Control that's killing everybody uh, Called the cove uh, the Tiberium That is Just (laughs) fucking everything up
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so that was actually one of the things that, again, I didn't think about it when I played it as a kid, because why would you? I was just like, man, I got a whole lot of dudes and they shoot stuff and that's fine. Um, right. But upon reviewing it now, I realized very quickly that, uh, a lot of the things that we, we, and I say that we, as in just general, like gamers know about the lore, if you will, behind command and conquer just totally was not talked about in this first game at all. Um, uh-uh. You don't really get motivations behind why the GDI and the Nod are fighting against each other other than just some basic stuff about you know control of this new precious resource known as Tiberium but that's it. And and it's, it's actually particularly apparent for the nod campaign because you kind of figure or can at least assume, right. Why the GDI are doing what they're doing. They're the global defense initiative. The nod, the brotherhood of nod is an ancient, like cult terrorist unit. And so like, obviously they're going to try to be stopping these guys because they are the, the bad guys in, in air quotes. So fine. Maybe they don't need that much more of a motivation because that's their job, but the brotherhood should have more of a motivation and it's just not really explained like outside of some very vague notion that like the Tiberium is going to lead to some sort of like utopian better future that they have in mind or that their sort of messianic uh, figure in Cain seems to have some sort of idea of like what the future is going to be or what it should be. And, But that's really all you get. And then I caught something in Kane. He's kind of doing this little voiceover over some of the like informational stuff that you're seeing about what Tiberium is. And he makes this real offhanded comment about basically knowing what the true nature of Tiberium is. But then he never explains that again through the rest of the game. And so –
0: well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't do shoot, shoot, kill, uh, kill. Right,
1: but it's just it's weird because you you basically get to the end of the campaign, especially like I said, the Nod campaign, and it feels really unresolved. Like there's just you you don't really know why you did any of the shit you did, and that gets addressed in like the expansions yeah. and then the sequels and that sort of thing, and that gets more fleshed out, and you kind of understand of it, but. If you're if you're looking at this game in in a bubble and as we are because we're talking about just this one in particular, the plot actually kind of leaves a lot to be desired, which is sort of a bummer because you can see that there's a lot of real opportunity in it.
0: Well, there's yeah, there's a couple things that that bothered me about the plot, and one is okay. The Brotherhood of Nod is supposed to be a cult terrorist organization, right? But they're really framing this through the the eyes of the media and how I, how the media kind of presents. The events of the world to us maybe that was their intention maybe it wasn't i have no idea mm-hmm. but the the media is taking the brotherhood of nod as a serious global competitor compared to the gdi they're they're a terrorist cult group they're not like a world state so right. to speak they're they're a cult group which is that was a little odd that that's one the next one is the brotherhood of nod is ostensibly evil right they're just hey we're evil we're the bad guys Okay, I understand there's always good to have good versus bad, but a little bit of nuance always makes your plot a little bit better. There, there could have been some motivation, as you said, some motivation for them that would help the player empathize with the Brotherhood of Nod. and It wouldn't just be so clear cut, but I get it. You have good versus evil, and that's always fun. Uh, the third thing is it really taught us a valuable lesson that sometimes fighting between two factions really keeps us distracted from the real threat (laughs) and if people keep fighting then the real threat can't be addressed properly and
1: and by the real threat of course you mean Tiberium of course yes
0: I I wouldn't mean anything else would I
1: no of course not there's no socio-political subtext in the game at all (laughs) nor in my statements no absolutely not Uh, but I I mean, for what it's worth, I kind of, were railing on the plot a lot, but like it does, it, I will give it credit that it does set up things pretty well for the, the games that follow. And I am going to go out on a limb and say that they were kind of doing that intentionally. I'm sure that they weren't going to make this game and just be like, well, we did that one, one and done. So I get it. Um, but the, perhaps the most interesting part of the plot of this game um especially looking at it as an adult now and i is 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 the tiberium because that's actually a really interesting thing that as you're saying it's an undercurrent through this whole conflict that you're playing through of like this increasing knowledge of like oh shit this stuff that mysteriously came on a meteor um and crash landed in near the Tiber River in Italy which is where it gets its name from is this alien substance that we initially were just like, oh, this is this amazing resource to, to you know build new technologies and, and all that stuff. But then it slowly becomes apparent that, you know, it is taking over the Earth's ecosystem and poisoning people and spreading these spores that are killing millions of people and livestock. And nobody has any idea why or what the purpose is or even how to combat it. And the interesting thing is that both the GDI and the NOD just don't even acknowledge that almost ever there's like one time in in the NOD campaign where Kane is just like oh yeah it's uh they're they're right it's super poisonous so like probably keep our troops away from that shit and that's like the uh. only time it actually gets addressed because they are both so concerned with their own agendas that the looming global threat uh, just does not seem to factor into their like machinations whatsoever, which again, totally not a socio-political statement at all. Not at all.
0: And it's not applicable today either.
1: No, no, this, in is, the slightest. this is a relic of a completely different time, man. This has nothing to do with with modern day yes. at all.
0: War war never went to a Western society against decentralized terrorist groups. And we would never see a looming threat that threatened us all. To continue to prosper because of of conflicting ideologies, I don't think that would ever happen.
1: No, absolutely not. We have moved past that as a species. We are a utopia.
0: In any uh, case, yeah. So I, I, I guess, hope, uh, I, and I think we just lost all our subscribers. We're getting too <laughs> political.
1: They're like, oh, they're getting all like serious and shit.
0: Shit. In any case, uh, just briefly, just got to point out, and this is credit to Shane putting this out in in the show notes. It really benefited Command and Conquer. That it was in a uh, postmodern or modern setting as opposed to being high fantasy. And I think if it was high fantasy, I do believe it may have gotten overshadowed by Warcraft 2.
1: Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Like, I, I think, I'm sure in retrospect, Westwood probably looked back at that decision where just like, w- you know, wiping their brow and just being like, shit, I'm glad we did that. Because, uh-huh. yeah, if they had stuck with their initial pitch for this, where it was just another high fantasy game or whatever, I I do think it would have gotten lost in the shuffle. And, and of course, it's kind of weird looking back on that now, right? Because we for so many years, we've just had this glut of gritty brown and gray, modern military games, thank you, call of duty. So looking at it now, you probably are like, uh, why, why is that so important? Like we've got more of those than we need. But then that actually managed, surprisingly enough, managed to set itself apart because most of the other ones that mm-hmm. were coming out of the time were either medieval or fantasy or sci-fi. And this was, um, this was a whole different thing.
0: Yeah, For people who don't understand, the, the, the year that Command & Conquer came out, it tied for best strategy game of the year from several PC mags with Heroes of Might and Magic. Which is as high fantasy as you can possibly fucking get. (laughs) And remember, Warcraft was orcs and humans. I'll say that again. Orcs and humans. Everything was high fantasy. The biggest games on PC at the time were high fantasy with probably the exception of like Descent. Or they were high sci-fi. They were high sci-fi or high fantasy. There was no in between. Command and Conquer really filled a niche that I don't really think was... I'm not saying nothing existed in, in, in that setting back then. But it really took advantage of a setting that I don't think was being taken advantage in the mainstream.
1: At least at least not in that way, right? Because if right. you look back at some of the, the reviewers um, at the time, they, they also pointed out that, you know, not only did the more modern war setting help to set it apart from other similar style of games, but actually it, it also was a refreshing change in, In that a lot of other more warfare based games and even ones that were set in a more modern time frame were a lot less um, bombastic and like action oriented. They were very sort of stuffy like, you know, Stratego move pieces around on a grid map sort of shit. And so this was a, a – a, in a lot of people's opinions, it was a very welcomed change and sort of shook things up.
0: High-speed crash and bash fun.
1: Exactly. And it's backed yes. by a kick-ass soundtrack.
0: But in any case, Shane, yes. I will ask you, do you believe that this game still holds up today?
1: Ugh, um, that is actually a really tough one, and I – despite my glowing review of this, I kind of have to say no. <laughs> okay. For, for a couple of reasons – One, which we kind of already touched on in that this is one of those games that because there have been so many quality of life improvements and advancements in the genre since this game came out, it is very difficult to go back now and play this uh, either again, if, if you played it before, although that might be a little bit easier if you've got the nostalgia going for you like I do. Um, But if you're going back and trying to play it for the very first time now, that is a hard sell. And it is also a hard sell because as of right now, it's like weirdly difficult to play. For the longest time, the original Command & Conquer was very, very difficult, if not nigh impossible to get to run properly on a more modern machine. Uh, There was a point at which Uh, well, I would say Westwood, but they kind of got absorbed into EA as far as the the rights to the game are concerned. So I'm going to say EA released- Who kills everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, They they released a a patch update to it that um, made it compatible with, I believe, Windows 7, I want to say. And then they also did uh, a surprising thing and actually released the entire game uh, for free as freeware in 2007. However- that has been taken down, probably because they're about to release a remaster of the thing and they don't want to cut into their own sales, go figure. But um, I, I haven't actually looked to see if this is available on like good old games or something, and I'm sure it probably is, or Steam.
0: Origin. So I'm sure maybe it, I'm
1: sure maybe it works there. But historically, it's been very hard to go back and play this game. So overall, I would actually say probably not. If you're gonna play this. Frankly, unless it turns out to be a complete shit show um, and we'll see, I my recommendation would be to pick up the remaster collection and play it that way, because that's probably going to be the best experience.
0: Okay, I would generally agree with you. Does it hold up? I would say on a technicality, yes, because you can go back. You can play it if you're just kind of in for more basic experience when it comes to an RTS without having to think generally too much About what your next actions are. Because it is pretty simple. It's fairly simple. Mm -hmm. Then you can get a good time out of this game. So on a technicality yes. But that comes with me saying it's a technicality. It it really requires me to say this. Almost every single RTS released after Command and Conquer. Is better than Command and Conquer. (laughs) Especially every game in the Command and Conquer series. Maybe with the exception of Generals. I don't know how Generals is received. I haven't Mm. played it. I think that one's pretty Um, divisive, but yeah. It's pretty, yeah. I'm one of those people who thinks that Warcraft 2 is far better than Command & Conquer. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I do acknowledge that Tiberian Sun is an amazing game. So if you really want the Command & Conquer experience, uh, if you just want to know where it originated and what really flipped the RTS world on its head and started the boom of the mid to late 90s for all the RTSs, go ahead and play Command & Conquer. You're still going to have a decent time. But it's gonna be lackluster when it comes to other games in the genre. Uh, especially, I mean, why would you play Command and Conquer when you can play StarCraft? I, I cannot wrap my mind around that. But well, well, by
1: that, all means, go <laughs> for it. That I mean, that that is a whole different discussion. Because I mean, that that you know, Starcraft came out in like ninety eight and that blew everything else away.
0: But we'll, we'll, well talk about that at some Point, point well, still stands. Point still stands. Why would you play it if you can play if you can play StarCraft? Why would you play Command & Conquer when you can play Tiberian Sun? I don't know. It's – those are so much better experiences that if you really want to go back and play RTSs because they really don't make them anymore. So the RTSs are relic in and of themselves. So if you're going to give yourself the best experience you can get, don't play Command & Conquer. Play Tiberian Sun or play StarCraft.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that is a good point. I mean, that we won't go into that now. But you, you also brought up a sort of sad fact that RTSs, by and large, just don't exist anymore, which is kind of unfortunate. I think the the general sentiment around like the gaming community is that the RTS sort of got superseded a little bit by um, things like um, League of Legends and MOBAs. MOBAs kind of took over. The same sort mm-hmm. of space that rts occupied for quite some time which
0: well they're built out of rts's
1: uh well yes yes you are technically correct you're talking about defense of the ancients
0: yeah which is the best kind of correct <laughs>
1: That is that is yes, you're right. Um, But that is a whole discussion for another day. So I I guess we sort of agree, at least partially that this one is pretty rough to go back to overall. But Uh if if you want to if you want to see where this all kind of began, then you should definitely check it out. And I stand by my assertion that I think the upcoming remaster collection is probably going to be the best experience to do that.
0: I would hope so. Yeah, that's that's another thing. If you if the remaster is faithful to the original and adds all of the modern conveniences, then absolutely go for it because you would still get a good experience, especially if they if they contain the absolute cheese FMVs. It's 100 percent worth your dollar,
1: which which they will. I can confirm. So that will be
0: amazing. Yeah, that's
1: that's the price of admission right there.
0: (laughs) Command and conquer. They need to make a movie just with all these actors. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, just keep it that way. Uh, all In right, Okay, Shane. Yeah, you have a spiel for us.
1: I I do. It's a brief spiel. We've we've cut it down over over the the last few weeks. Um, so if uh, if you're here listening to us, then you know how to find us because you're already here. But. If you would like to support what we do, uh, there's a couple of options for you to do that. We do run a Patreon um, with some pretty cool benefits for uh, 16-bit tier subscribers and above. Uh, You can get access to a bonus audio content feed with uh, outtakes from these recording sessions, as well as additional rapid-fire reviews of some of the games that we're playing outside of our main episode topics. Um, so if you would like to do that, please check it out over at bit.ly. That's b i t . l y dot L-Y slash R-H patron. Um, and even as little as a dollar gets you a long way. That'll get you into our exclusive Discord where you can hang out with us and chat with other patrons as well. Um, and we also have a merch store open. That's at bit.ly slash R-H-P merch. Um, at the time of this recording, we are going to have a couple new lines of merch, one with our brand new logo that you're probably seeing in your feed right now, and also one with the uh, the eggplant dragon artwork that we had done. Um, so keep an eye out for that, because um, those are coming up uh, fairly soon. And outside of that, uh, Chris, anything else that you'd like to add?
0: Just briefly want to answer a question that we got in the Retro Hangover Instagram account page, which uh, was directed towards our Gears of War episode, which is why don't we talk about how much trash Gears of War 5 is? Great. We'll (laughs) wait until uh, Gears of War 5 is 10 years old and then we'll discuss whether or not it's trash. Absolutely. I have not played it, but I look forward to calling it trash if it is trash. I haven't heard it is, but if it is, that'll be great. Uh, other than that, that's all I got, Shane.
1: Oh, and uh one last thing I forgot to mention is our uh oh. our Twitch streams. Uh so yes. w- yeah, so we do that uh weekly, Sundays at nine PM uh Eastern time. So please feel free to drop in and hang out and see what uh retro game that we're probably playing badly and tell us about how bad we are at it because our patron lyle loves to do that and i'm sure he would appreciate some heckling company so um so definitely uh, come check that out
0: yeah we are kings of the shame states
1: absolutely and with all of that being said until next time play
0: with your stoned doctor joysticks